Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's book is Plugged by Owen Colfer. Colfer is the New York Times bestselling author of the Artemis Fowl series, as well as the sixth book in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books and many other individual titles. A little bit about Plugged. We pulled this off of the Amazon site. Uh, Daniel McAvoy has a problem. Well, really, he has several, but for this Irish expat bouncer at a seedy small-time casino, the fact that his girlfriend was just murdered in the parking lot is uppermost in his mind. That is, until lots of people around him start dying, and not of natural causes. Suddenly, Daniel's got half the New Jersey Bob, dirty cops, and his man-crazy upstairs neighbor after him, and he still doesn't know what's going on. Bullets are flying, everybody's on the take, and it all may be more than Daniel's new hair plugs can handle. And Daniel's got to find the guy who put those hair plugs in, or at least his body, and fast, or else he'll never get that voice out of his head. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, Colfer is best known for his Artemis Fowl series, which I don't know the first thing about, but I do believe it is a uh, juvenile, I don't know, kind of magical something or another. This certainly is not. It's a it's a th- action thrill ride that's done in a very, very tongue-in-cheek manner. And, you know, while I was reading it, it kept kind of reminding me of a movie or something, and I couldn't really put my finger on it because it's a little goofier than, like, Lethal Weapon but it's not as bad as like the last action hero. So I, I don't know where, where this actually falls in, in a, in a proper genre book. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that I was trying to remember, I guess in my research for this book, I was just looking at some of the reviews he got on Amazon and one of the one star reviews that I saw for it was someone gave him a one star review just because he wrote a book that wasn't for kids and because he'd written so many children's books, um, people just assume that a book coming out from him is for children. And they said it, they accused him of being very misleading and irresponsible. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's on the cover, but I'm fairly certain someone's being shot or shot at or chased. Yeah, I think he's dodging like multiple bullets or something on the cover. And I got to pull it up. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I'm not sure exactly. You know, that's the irresponsible reader right there. But um, it's definitely something that people are taking notice of and, and mentioning the fact that he's he's doing stuff that's not young adult oriented. The only other book I've ever read by him is I did read And Another Thing, which is the title of the sixth Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series because I'm a big fan of the series. And I have to say, it was, it was a... A situation that no one should go into lightly because that is, you know, a series that has been beloved by tons and tons of people over decades. And I liked it a lot. I was very impressed with um, how faithful he stayed to the series and the writing style and everything. And a lot of that shines through in this book, that type of humor and how even though there are some very serious situations, it all feels very kind of lighthearted and um, comical. I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. Um, just back to what we we're talking about the cover. There are two men shooting at each other on the cover of the book. So yeah, it's um, apparently this is a case where someone did not judge a book by its cover and, uh, <laughs> and thought it was a children's book and hand it to like a five-year-old who then wanted to know what hair plugs and, and prostitutes were. Yeah. So a little bit back to the story, um, kind of to rehash a little bit. Daniel is a ex Irish army who, um, 
is migrated to the United States and is working as a doorman um, various places. Uh, at the time of this book, he's a it's a kind of a sleazy casino nightclub, um, and he goes to see his friend and doctor and finds him missing. Where he encounters a mobster and then hijinks ensue from there. Mm-hmm. And one of the I guess one of the things that I I liked about the book. I wasn't expecting was that it was it definitely had multiple plots running in it and I figured this is going to be a lighthearted fun kind of action thriller uh it's going to be pretty simple like point A to point B but he had you know multiple big stories going on that I didn't expect it was pretty cool so he's got the story of um you know trying to find his friend who's gone missing the, the doctor who gave him his hair plugs uh and then as the synopsis said his girlfriend essentially was murdered so he has to find out who killed her and then there's other stuff too so uh, a lot more i guess depth to it than i was expecting but it was still a pretty light read yeah this this was a really really um a quick read not a lot of complex thought i mean this is probably the closest thing we've had to a beach read since we started the show <laughs> i think I, I mean you didn't have to rub two brain cells together at any point through this book to, to figure out what was going on or, or where it was headed it was it was very very simple yeah, I'm trying to think of the way the best way to put this. It's not simple, I guess, is the way I want, is is what I'm trying to say. There's still like a a cleverness to it, but it's not something that challenges your mind. So um, it's not dumb, but it's easy. It's funny throughout. More the viewpoint of the um, the the narrator, the first person, you know, protagonist than situationally speaking. So. Through Daniel's eyes, we we see uh, quite a good sense of humor and an interesting way of looking at things, and that's probably what I would consider the redeeming quality in this book. Because from a plot standpoint, I thought it was a little on the thin side. Um, yeah, snarky observations throughout, some very comical and unique ways of of thinking about things. But um, uh, here's what I'll say: uh, like we said, there was these plots that were very basic and everything, but. There were some scenes that he wrote that were just so masterfully funny without giving too much away. <laughs> There's this one scene that involves um, he's trying to break into this house that's heavily secured. And there's a very unusual way that he he distracts the people and gets them to come out. And it's by throwing a Rottweiler over a fence into their yard. And then all this crazy chaos, I guess, happens. And it's the way that he writes it is I was I was honestly laughing out loud. It was such an absurd situation. Um, quite the cast of quirky characters, and I'm not even going to go into most of them, but there are probably 10 very important characters to the book, uh, with the exception of his you know, one-time girlfriend. I think everybody else is, is pretty quirky and written in a kind of funny way. Um, uh, one of the stars uh, of this book, at least in quality, is, is his insane upstairs neighbor that kind of falls for him. She's just fantastic in this book. <laughs> Um, probably not enough of her because she was she was the shining gem. I think the the silver lining in this book for me. Mm, interesting. I liked the way that he handled his. So one of the biggest characters in the book is his friend slash um, hair plug doctor Zeb, who is never really in the book until almost the very end. But because he's missing, um, Daniel keeps hearing him in his head. And it's almost like, I'm sure it's his conscious, his conscience trying to just keep him on track and, you know, remind him how urgent it is to find his friend and everything. But it's a cool way of having a character involved without actually having him in the book at all. And it's, it's, 
nice, funny, back and forth kind of like buddy cop moments where they have this witty banter without having a whole other character in the scene. I agree that it was done very well. One of my main problems in this book, and I was going to hold some of this till the wrap up, was um, repetitiveness. It, the Zeb character in Daniel's head, I thought, was really great the first 14, <laughs> 18 times, but it's constant throughout. I mean, nary a page goes by that you're, you're not listening to him have the same, you know, or a conversation with this guy in his head. And there are some other elements of the book, too. So you mentioned in the synopsis about his hair plugs, he's very self-conscious about balding. And you know, this Zeb guy is the guy who did his hair plugs. It's his friend that he's looking for. And hair plugs and baldness come up umpteen times. And again, it's funny the first few times and, and the guy has a wit to him. But I think he's he's like that friend you have that has the joke that's funny. But then he keeps telling the same joke over <laughs> and over again till it's not funny anymore. And by the end, you know, I was a little kind of relieved that I wouldn't have to hear some of the same repetitive stuff. And that's where you and I are a little bit different because um, I don't know why, but for me, I really love a repetitious humor like that. And, you know, to the point where, I mean, obviously Zeb's lines were italicized. So I could see when they were coming, but it was like, here's the, you know, it would be like that. Eh, I know it's coming. And then it did. So it, for me, it was fine, but I understand how it could be. It did seem like it was going on a bit much. Um, and then just since we're in, and this isn't spoilery stuff, um, it's in one of my quotes, but this attorney that he meets early on in the book, that's a kind of a recurring character through most of it, um, is one of these guys who, who has this issue of just pointing at everything. <laughs> and again, much like the upstairs neighbor, you know, it's maybe a little bit of a throwaway, but some of the funniest parts in the book are his references to the pointing, but then it becomes every time he talks to him, he makes a reference about it. So again, really humorous stuff, but then at, at a certain point, I just thought it was a little overdone. Yeah, that's fair. This book is packed with with characters, and I, I don't think it would make sense to go through all of them. But there's some some notable other characters. There's a detective, this female detective, um, who comes up throughout the book and is is one of the pivotal characters. Irish Mike is the very stereotypical East Coast mobster. He has a big role in the in the in the book. Um, but I don't know. One of the most interesting, and another, and again, this is a character who exists only in uh, the protagonist's head or in flashbacks kind of is the psychiatrist that he was talking to uh, I'm sorry that Daniel McAvoy the main character was talking to uh, after his first tour in the military and he was trying to re-enlist and he had to see a, a, a psychiatrist about it and so some of the when he flashes back to conversations with that guy some of the most funny stuff in the book I'd say yeah, I agree with you. Again, there were there were some some really small redeeming qualities that I think this book would have scored a lot lower with me were it not for his um, former psychiatrist, were it not for his crazy upstairs neighbor, were it not for the the pointing lawyer. Um, I think this would have scored considerably lower. But there were some some definite redeeming qualities in that. Mm-hmm. And to kind of exemplify some of the hilarity then redeeming moments we've been talking about, I think we're going to move right into our quote section. Cool. I'm going to jump into this with uh this is one that happens kind of early in the book and i'm i did wasn't originally going to say it but it goes back to mcavoy's life before when he was still in the in the military in ireland the sergeant major ordered me to sashay over to dr moriarty's office at my convenience minus the word sashay and convenience plus the words hustle and right fucking now retard (laughs) (laughs) 
and like I said, and some of it's just really, really great stuff. Um, I've got one. I'm gonna give a little setup. I already mentioned the pointing lawyer, and I'm actually gonna back this up a line or two to kind of put this in uh, in context. Um, so this is Daniel talking about the the attorney who likes to point a lot. Says, plus the courtroom is this guy's arena. Before the judge, he's a gladiator. I can just see him jumping around like a little ginger monkey, pointing like there's no tomorrow. That one, I'm pretty sure, had me chuckling out loud. There was a lot of, in the moment, I'm thinking about this now, but there's a lot of ginger talk in the book. I don't know how much that has to do with the fact that there's several Irish people in it, but there was, there's a lot of the word ginger being thrown around. Yeah, and you know, that's that's... The kind of thing I never found ginger humor to be that funny. I have a bunch of friends that do, but yeah, I guess that is an Irish thing. Then I didn't actually know that. But well, there's a lot of redheaded Irish people. Okay. Well, um. no, I knew that. I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't think the term ginger was necessarily an Irish reference. Oh, I don't know what the etymology of the word is. I'm just saying that there's in a population that's more. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, hey, how much do you want to bet Malaz makes a comment about gingers on the webpage? He's probably going to ask us if Chris Deal was in the book. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> okay, my next quote, uh, Daniel McAvoy comes back to his apartment to find it has been ransacked. And he's kind of observing the, the damage. And he says, my fridge is lying on its side, leaking mayo. Looks like a dying robot. That was just such a vivid image in my mind, especially since I love robots. That just took me right back to Robopocalypse. And now I'm sad. <laughs> Yeah, the dying robot in that story is the fucking book. Yeah. Now, now my night's ruined. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, and a little bit of setup here. I keep mentioning the crazy upstairs neighbor. So, of course, a couple of my favorite quotes come directly from that. Uh, this is Daniel. He gets home from work, I believe, or from something. And he says, then Mrs. Delano pipes up. She was waiting for me to come home. I'm sure of it. Probably been up all night injecting her eyeballs with caffeine. I know that sounds crazy, but when you live underneath crazy, some of it drips downwards. <laughs> and that's not just funny. That's just really good writing, too. Yeah. I actually have another Delano one that I really liked, and I'm going to try to do this without uh, messing it up too badly. Okay, so the setup for this quote is Delano comes uh, and barges into uh, Daniel McAvoy's apartment, and she brought him a lasagna that she cooked for him as, a, as kind of a token of affection or whatever, but she finds him in the in the apartment naked with someone else and she gets jealous delano attacks steaming lasagna born aloft i cover my balls because melted cheese sticks tough as deacon is there isn't a naked person on this planet who isn't scared of hot pasta <laughs> truer words never spoken that's what i was like yeah and just to continue the the love for delano the crazy neighbor here's my uh, last quote Delana winks at me, or maybe it's just hard to keep that eyelid open with all the mascara troweled onto it. <laughs> Simple and to the point. And so yeah, funny. That was the uh, that was the quote that Livius and I both had. Every time we seem to get one quote uh, that that the other one has, and that was the one. There it is. And there it is. Okay, so I've got one more kind of funny quote, and then I want to end it off with a serious one, just to show that that, that he he's not all just jokes and one-liners. This first one doesn't really need much of a setup. Those two couldn't find their dicks with a dicko scope. <laughs> I don't know. Did you? You didn't laugh, Olivia. So you don't think it's funny? Um, I thought it was okay. I, I actually kind of thought I, I thought it was funny if I remember correctly. The carrying out of that line, McAvoy's reaction to that line, I actually think put together was a little 
if memory serves correctly. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, ending it off with one of the more, not necessarily serious, but not funny lines that I thought was pretty decent. Uh, this is Daniel McAvoy is remembering something that his uh, psychiatrist that his psychiatrist had once said. The human mind has layers. Simon Moriarty once told me. Some of them know what's going on. Some of them don't. Very cool. I don't know how necessarily insightful or or philosophical that is, but it just uh, it was kind of a <laughs> roundabout way of saying it is what it is. Yep. You uh, ready to give this some stars? Yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, I think you should go first. All right, here's my summation once again. Story, a little transparent, I thought. Um, the characters, although quirky and funny, uh, some of the humor got to be repeated a little more than it should have. But that being said, the humor that was there was very good and certainly a redeeming quality. All in all, it's three stars. I liked it, but it's uh, it's just an average book. Okay. I'm going with three stars as well. Nothing I didn't like about it. it was, uh, he pulled it off. He pulled off a decent story. There was a lot of humor in it. It didn't go any kind of extra mile, and you know, it didn't. I don't know. It didn't blow me away or anything, but it was a perfectly good read. I liked it just fine, and that's about it, I guess. Yeah, three stars. One of the rare times where we agree on something. Yeah. So, although mine sucked, mine came across <laughs> so much more negative than yours did for the same number of stars. Kind of weird. Well. Yeah, and you're <laughs> not to go back into the whole like starring system and everything, but yours is so weird because like you start out low in ad points, and I just decide kind of holistically after the fact what I want to do. So it seemed like yours is more optimistic because you keep adding, like bringing the number up, but <laughs> that's not the case. You always the sound more negative. Goes, but see, the number goes up and down. Like I, have, I had like three quotes very early on in the book, and I'm like, this book is really, really funny. And at that point, it's edging up to like a four star because I'm really laughing a lot. And then, like I said, I wind up, it starts to get a little repetitive. So another like half star comes off in my mind, you know what I mean? So it just kind of goes up and down throughout the mm -hmm. course of the book. So. And I guess that's kind of the thing, like you saying that makes me think of, it didn't really take it to the next level. It had a lot of stuff, but it didn't really like step it up a notch. It did a good job of being, you know, your average book that was, you know, had some funny moments and some serious moments and stuff, but it didn't really aspire. I don't even think it inspired to be much more than that. No, and it probably didn't. And it was, uh, like I said, this is, you know, again, I said earlier, like a beach read. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I whipped through it pretty quickly. I didn't, I wasn't bored with it, but I wasn't, you know, dying to, to finish it either. I just kind of coasted through it and, mm -hmm. you know. I probably hit less rough spots than I have in some books that I liked more, but they had, in, to me, more intrinsic value and in, you know, in story or, or whatever. Even if I struggled through parts of it, I may have enjoyed it more simply because overall I felt it was better written. Or when we get to our um, read this, not that, I have a few books that you know with reasons of why I liked them better than this. So maybe I'll just hold mm -hmm. off for a bit. There it is. All in all, three stars. And I think I'm going to go first with a word snob, perhaps another uh, first or near first on this show. Mine isn't so much a misspelling or a misuse of a word as it is a cultural um, word snob. For those of you that don't know, my heritage is Romanian. And uh, Daniel had picked up this particular way of saying a phrase from a, a Romanian um, mercenary that, that he had worked with on and off uh, throughout his military career. And he pronounces motherfucking as mozerfucking. And uh, he makes allusion to how this is how all Romanians say this. I can, uh, 
I can guarantee you I've known lots of Romanians and I've loaned lots of them to use that phrase and I've never once heard it sound that way. Taken to school. Actually, yes. here it is. It says, made it sound real, the double Z. So sometimes if I want to make an impression, I say it the Romanian way. Not the case, huh? Nope. You just, you just busted. myth busted him. Um, I, I have kind of a general snob thing, and it's not even a snob thing. It's just something. It, it's something that um, I'm explaining in advance for people who wouldn't be used to this. Uh, he definitely writes in non-American English. He's from Ireland, so he's got kind of a different set of rules. So throughout the book, you'll see sometimes the spellings of, of words are a little bit different. There's several different words in non-American English that end with a C-E, where we would have an S-E, for example. He uses the word defense, and he spells it D-E-F-E-N-C-E, and that's proper for non-American English, like a British English. But, you know, obviously we spell it S-E here, so not a big deal at all. It's the word defense either way, but it's something that it was weird enough to my eye that I noticed. Um, and then the other one was, uh, he uses the word curb surprisingly often in the book. I don't know exactly how many times, but he spells it differently, and I think it's K-E-R-B is the way that it's spelled uh, instead of our C-U-R-B. So just some cultural differences because he's writing in non-American English uh, otherwise. Uh, and the only reason to bring those up is not to be like an asshole or to sound like I'm smart. It's just it's something that it was enough that it tricked my eye that I had to look back. And so for, you know, in case anybody didn't know about it or, you know, likes to be warned, I'm putting it out there for you. Um, I actually think the first time I came across that spelling of curb, like it wasn't really clear what he was talking about. So I just glazed over it like maybe it was just a word I didn't know. And I think <laughs> it was like the second, like you said, it came up quite a few times. I was like, oh, that's what he's talking talking mm -hmm. about so yeah. yeah it's awkward enough where it's it it begs an explanation i guess the word arse a lot arse instead <laughs> arse. of arse arse and shite yes shite i have uh i have a few um read this not that do you have any um no i really didn't think of any i mean there's some general you know parallels i could make with other authors but i think this is your stage today okay so i have a couple of uh books you could read in addition to that, I think you'd like more than this if you choose to read this um, or some things that do maybe what Colfer was trying to do a little better. Apathy and Other Small Victories, we've mentioned on the show as a favorite of mine and Rob's um, previously. Uh, it's another mystery story with quirky characters, but that one is uh, very seriously laugh out loud funny pretty much throughout. Um, so if you're really looking for something with more of a comedic edge, I highly recommend that one. Um, if you're looking for something with um, less humor, better mystery still along the lines of this, the Elvis Cole series by Robert Crace. Elvis Cole is a kind of magnum P.I.-ish detective who doesn't take himself very seriously, so he has come at kind of some of the same thought processes as the protagonist in this book does, but uh, just very well-written stuff. It's a lengthy series now. It's probably at 12, maybe, um, books. And then for just overall funny, again, a much more mean funny, but I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show before, probably the second funniest book I've ever read, Kill Your Friends by John Niven, which is a look at the music industry um, from a few years ago and just kind of the hostilities and things that go on there. So so we'll call it funnier, funnier, and better mystery there. <laughs> I guess in general, if I had to say who would like this book, uh, definitely not five-year-olds, first of all. So parents, if you're listening I'm really to this glad. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It, yeah. <laughs> Parents, trust that cover. Uh, otherwise, 
I mean, it's a really simple read, and it's a it's a decent read. So I, I think anybody who's in for a little bit of a humor doesn't want to take a story too seriously or get all you know Da Vinci Code like invested in it. Yeah, it's a decent quick read. Usually, that's pretty much it for an episode. But I think we've had a couple of things that have come up uh, since the last time we posted an episode that I thought were no that we thought were noteworthy enough to to mention in the show. So um, and. <laughs> and once once we started taking notes on it, Livius got really into it. So I think this is going to be a bit of fun. Uh, do you want which one do you want to start out with? Um, why don't you take the stage? I think you've got a little more to say on this first one here. Okay, so we're recording this. It's September 29th, so I think it was yesterday morning. Amazon announced their new lineup of of Kindles, and this is way bigger of a deal than even I knew. I mean, I follow tech blogs and stuff like that, so I knew. Amazon was having an event yesterday, and I figured they would be announcing their tablet, but they, whoa, I mean, they brought out a whole bunch more than that, so the basic lineup is, how much should I get salesmen, like, into this, Livius? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw this on various social networks from Rob, and then I saw people <laughs> quoting Rob on other social networks after they read his posts on it, so. Yeah, Stephen Graham Jones is, like, on Google+, Plus. he's like, got this from Rob. Uh, I'll just do this really quick. So, uh, the new lineup of Kindles, there's going to be four different Kindles, uh, ranging from a basic one, which no longer has a keyboard. Uh, it just has some navigation buttons at the bottom. Uh, they have two touch models, obviously one with 3G and one without. And then they announced their 7-inch color tablet. That's a $200 buy. And gotta say, they all look pretty sharp, and the price points are... are uh, surprising. The the cheapest one is eighty bucks. Then it goes ninety nine for the touch, the basic touch, one forty nine for the three G, two hundred for the tablet. Uh, and I think I didn't really emphasize this too much. I think that those are all with ads. Um, you know, the, like the ad supported versions that are cheaper. I think that everything goes up a twenty or thirty bucks or so if you buy it without the ads. Um. Yeah, I the prices the only word I could think of in when you were talking about was their game changing prices. This is gonna yeah. be the first this is gonna be the first legitimate reader that's out there that's under a hundred bucks that isn't on clearance. Um that twenty dollar jump is huge because you get not just uh you know, from the basic model, which is just a reader, you go to the touch, which also has audio. So if you want to load audiobooks um on there, you can use it as well, you know, kind of like an MP three player. Um, for audiobooks, so I mean, yeah, game-changing prices. I have to imagine with the um, the quality of the build of of my Kindle, the third generation now known as the Kindle keyboard, apparently, that they're making absolutely no money on this, and that at least on their readers, and that the money's all going to come from um, from book purchases from Amazon. So I think you're getting a very, very good deal on hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I don't think there's not going to be any changes that I'm aware of to their actual e-ink system. So I mean, it's just beautiful to read on these things. They're fantastic. Here's the thing, too, and I have to imagine that they're, you know, how phone companies, uh, cellular phone companies, subsidize phones, and you know, they make the money off the plans. And I have to imagine that's what Amazon is doing because, it, number one, they're making money off of every book they sell in that goddamn Kindle store. Number two. I mean, if if the majority of the Kindles that people buy are now ad-supported, they're making revenue on ads all the time. And third, they did a tricky thing with um, with that Kindle Fire, which is going to be the one that everybody's buying 
for Christmas, it, it, it comes with a 30-day free trial of Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime, for people who don't know, uh, is more than just getting free two-day shipping, which is originally what kind of the big selling point was. But you get all this access to free streaming video and music and stuff like that. So they hook you in with that 30 days of Amazon Prime, and then you, for that first month, you know, like, the sky's the limit with what you can do on this awesome new tablet you just got. And then, bam, you're paying, what is it, 80 bucks a year? Yep. And then, so you've got, I have to imagine Amazon Prime subscriptions are going to go through the roof. I also imagine that may tie into what we were talking about with having the free books available, library mm -hmm. style mm -hmm. through there mm -hmm. with, with Prime, that that's part of... The vision that we didn't see when we were talking about it was yeah. that they would also have the, which, you know, it's been rumored for some time they were going to have a, it's an Android-based tablet. Um, the other thing, and, and I don't know how much you know about this, but they've had their app store, their Android app store up and running for probably six months now, maybe a little longer. Mm -hmm. And that was all in preparation for this as well. So they're going to see more revenue. I imagine that will come slightly locked down where you won't necessarily have access to the um Android market, like most Android phones or like all Android phones do, mm -hmm. but it'll steer you towards buying, you know, and, and kind of like books, the, you know, apps from them that are going to be one to five dollars, much like a you know, majority of ebook pricing is where they probably do a you know, 70 30 split with the, the creator of that. So play Angry Birds on that, they'll get 70 cents off of that. You want to, you know, download a, uh, an office app so you can do some light word processing on the train, they'll get four bucks from that, and it'll be the same type of revenue stream that they get from yep. the books. So those cheap, those cheap, that cheap hardware, all it's doing is it giving them more, you know, revenue streams and everything. But, I mean, here's, here's my thought about it. Uh, <laughs> everybody probably thought that Amazon was kind of resting on their laurels, and they had a new Kindle that was... You know, the third generation was essentially the second generation, but a little smaller, and it still had that keyboard that only half the people liked and everything. And they took a serious run, like the Nook was a serious threat. That that Nook color is fantastic. I like it a lot. Um, so suddenly there's this <laughs> serious competition, and I'm sure people were speculating that Kindle was going to start its decline, but this is just a goddamn knockout punch, if you ask me. Yeah, it's it's coming out at fifty dollars less than um, the Nook, which basically is the same hardware, for the most part. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll see the Nook drop in price, of course, and it'll start a, a new price war. I mean, and and to be fair, it's Kindle's Amazon's a little late on this. The current Touch Nook is out there; it's the same size, it's got a touch screen. Yes, theirs is going to be thirty dollars cheaper. Um, you know, and the same goes for an Android tablet. Now, the Nook's Android tablet is locked down significantly more than I imagine Amazon's will be. So we'll see if that, for the kind of phone geeky people, if that makes much of a difference in what they're going to purchase. Well, and I don't know if you looked at very much at this um, browser that Amazon made, Silk, for the, the Fire tablet. But I don't know. There's some exciting stuff with that. I mean, the fact that it shares the processing requirements for whatever it's doing with cloud computing. And it'll, uh, what is it? It said, they said it'll actually anticipate for, for websites you visit frequently, it'll preload them in the cloud so that when you go to get to them, it, it loads faster on your tablet and stuff. They did some really interesting stuff with the user experience, which if Apple has told us anything, it's that, you know, customers will buy and buy and buy if you're focusing on the user experience. 
I'm glad you mentioned Apple because at some point I wanted to say, hey, you realize this isn't an Apple product. You're, you're pushing everybody, right? And I, I'm, tr- I'm, do- I'm actually trying to do my best not to sell it. And that's why I said I like the Nook Color so much because I think it's a fantastic machine. But I don't think anybody saw this whole lineup of Amazon coming. No, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to be sticking with my keyboard, which I hated keyboards on readers for so long. But with this podcast, I actually take notes in the books we read. So I actually prefer the keyboard. I, I don't know if either one of those, if the touch is going to have a pop-up keyboard, but pop-up keyboards are cool for phones and they're cool when you, you know, use them at work or whatever. But for real, you know, data entry, a keyboard still the best way to go. Says you. Everybody's got their own uh, preferences. Sure. Um, so we <laughs> are we done uh, gushing over the new Kindle lineup? I, I, I just wasn't expecting it. And I thought it was very noteworthy and that they that they made such a, Huge push. It was kind of a big push. Yeah, I think we're going to see the last of the holdouts at at eighty bucks picking up uh, picking up at least the basic Kindle. Yeah, that's impulse buy level. I mean, that's a very attractive price. And um, we were, you said earlier, and I was going to comment about this, but I didn't want to derail us about how um, Amazon's going to be taking cuts of of you know app sales and all these different sales. And obviously, ebook sales as well. I wonder what the cut they're getting is from uh, that that Stephen King book that uh, that just came out. You want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, I want to talk about it. Standard cut for them is seventy percent. So someone can do the math on this for us. In late November, when or I guess mid November, when Stephen King's eleven twenty two sixty three novel comes out, sixteen ninety nine for the Kindle. <laughs> wow, the highest price book. And and I'm gonna say this as a maybe. I'm almost certain when I looked yesterday, because uh, actually Anthony Neil Smith on Twitter had pointed this out um, in a link that I followed. I'm pretty sure it was a dollar more yesterday, and it was seventeen ninety nine. Yeah, seventeen dollars for a product that that has no there's there's no merchandise. This is you know it's something we talked about before. There's, yeah. about, so. there's zero production cost. If you want to know how easy it is to make an ebook, you can buy software online, or even probably get a. a a test version and make an ebook. I mean, you could do it for free. It's just a matter of a little bit of time, especially with Stephen King. I mean, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of I'm speechless at this goddamn outrageous price. And, and as much as I have respect for Stephen King, who I'm sure had very little to do with the pricing of this or anything, you know, it's it's. I wish we had more of a reach so I could strongly encourage people to just boycott that ridiculous price. Um, just to send a message back to the publishers that it's not okay to charge what what I'm sure you'll find in Walmart the hardcover for less than that at 30 or 35 percent off or on the bestseller list at Barnes I'm sure they have a you know top 10 30 percent off or something where you're paying you know less for the paper book than ebook that's just goddamn ridiculous. So Same that being brother. said, I'm not <laughs> I'm not mad at Stephen King. So because he's got exciting stuff going on. Stephen King, who uh, now three or four years ago said he wasn't writing anymore, is uh, still writing, as you may know. But uh, really exciting is the uh, the sequel to The Shining, something that he had talked about, you know, on and off throughout the years. Um, it is in the process of being written. He actually read from it at uh, George Mason University's 2011 Fall for the Book um, Festival this past weekend. Tentative title for that book is going to be Doctor Sleep, and uh, King told the crowd about it. I've always wondered what happened to that kid in The Shining. So Danny is going to make a return as an adult, and he's going to psychically somehow fight vampires. <laughs> of course, that's what happened to the kid in The Shining. 
Of course it did. What else could it happen? It'll be a job at like, you know, McDonald's and he's like a like an area manager for a fast food place. Mm-hmm. So that's very exciting. Now, embarrassingly enough, I have to say I've never read The Shining. So I saw the movie and my, my rule with movies and books, my general rule is if I've already seen the movie, it's unlikely that I'll read the book. I think I've only done that once or twice. I may make an exception to prep for the for the sequel to The Shining. Wow. I will not so embarrassingly confess I have not read The Shining either. Um, but not a Stephen King fan. So have we heard from Stephen Graham Jones on what he thinks about it? Um, uh, no, not, uh, yeah, he had mentioned it on, um, on Facebook, but didn't say very much. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So another thought I had back to eleven twenty two sixty three. I think I pretty much had you convinced that we had to review that book when it came out. And now in looking <laughs> at the price point, I really don't think I can. Yeah. Maybe we do a review where it's like a two minute review where we're like, Oh, now we're going to talk about eleven twenty two sixty three. Here's what I thought about it. It was too fucking expensive, and I didn't read it. Yeah, I'm I'm heartbroken, man. When I saw that, it, it's yeah. You know, here's the whole thing. I spent a good portion of my life paying that amount of money for books. I was the guy who'd show up at the bookstore on Tuesday because my favorite author was coming out with another hardcover, and I'd buy it. And you know, sometimes I'd keep them. Sometimes I'd turn around, sell them on Half dot com, whatever. But to see a non-merchandise item no merchandise you know nothing there's no shipping costs there's no anything at that price is i mean literally to the point where i really want to stage like a boycott mm-hmm. i'm really pissed off about it so you know. <laughs> it's obvious how pissed off you are about this yes so there you go <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you started saying, have we heard what Stephen Graves did? I thought we were going to say, have we heard from Stephen King on it? And I thought, no, you know, I haven't gotten a text message from that guy in a long time now. So. Yeah, that's too bad. Well, speaking of, of gigantic, monolithic uh, authors, we've got a, a new and hopefully regular uh, segment that we're introducing to the show, which I dubbed kind of jokingly yesterday or last week when I was um, building the post for the for the latest episode. Um, and that segment I lovingly call Patterson Watch. Now, when I make notes, Livius and I tend to make notes separately and then we kind of combine them together later on. Um, but when I was making notes for this, this is exactly what I wrote under Patterson Watch. No news. I'm just excited that I named a new segment for the show. So, yeah, then I went and, uh, and filled it in with stuff. So here's what we've got. Now, I know it's only been like a week and a half since James Patterson had a book out. But um, October is coming up in a couple of days, so I thought we'd give you the October release. On October 17th, Christmas News comes out, and that is uh, he has co-authored that with someone, and I don't have the name, honestly, because on the cover of the book it was so small I couldn't make it out. <laughs> wow. And it looks like he's got some subsequent releases coming out. Don't worry, guys, because he's got something coming out in November, December, January. Maybe he's taken February off. Maybe he just hasn't announced something yet, but then also something in March. And out of all of those books, only the one in November is a uh, is a standalone James Patterson novel. It's another in the Alex Cross series. So for that, I can be genuinely excited for Patterson fans. I know that that series has a ton of fans, um, and that is something he at least, by the stamp on the book, writes on his own. So, you know, but yeah. Other, other than that, it's all series written with other people. If I'm trying to think, we what we need to do, we need to find someone who <laughs> who works on the inside. We need to get like a mole on the inside, and we can have a, have a, a weekly 
a weekly thing. We could expand Patterson Watch and have dis dispatches from the book mill. And it would be someone who's like, you know, they could do like the voice changing, you know, software and stuff like that. So that they're not recognized. <laughs> and they can, <laughs> they can just give us the reality of like, he's like, no, seriously, we have a million monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> All writing books. <laughs> but, but you know what? The monkeys only do the first draft. Well, yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dispatches from the book mill. I love it. Uh, um, that might even be a better name than Patterson Watch. Just to let you know. Well, yeah, but we're not in the book mill. That's why. Yeah, yeah. We'll work on it. We can fight over it. And then this is really exciting, and I think we're going to get Rob to try this. I just am unable to because I don't have the technology. But there is a free James Patterson iPhone and iPad app. And you can get yours today somewhere i don't know i just copied and pasted it onto the document so i'd suggest probably in the app store it could be so i think uh for our next episode um maybe you can have a review of that app it'll be dispatches from the book mill app <laughs> so i know i know some of our friends um have iphones i encourage all of you to download this app and report back to us on facebook as to uh, what kind of great things i'm missing out and maybe maybe this will be the the straw that breaks my uh my Android back and, and sends me over to the dark side of Apple. Stop lying to everybody. Oh yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. But <laughs> I thought that would enthuse you know people to go and go ahead and do that. Yeah. Boy, did we get way off course there, huh? Yeah, we didn't. Even, we stopped caring. We just started talking about whatever we felt like. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, there's a note here that says we need to mention Stitcher because <laughs> Rob is <laughs> under this impression that if we don't mention Stitcher on every show, they're just going to kick us off as if they bother to listen. So. Well, Here's the reason that I said that. Uh, <laughs> they actually did ask us to mention them in every episode, and there were, I hope Stitcher's not listening. I hope they don't choose this one to be the one that they listen to because there was a series of a 17 or so interviews in a row that we called the Warm and Bound Sessions where we didn't mention how to contact us at all. And so I feel like we need to at least kind of make up for that by being a little more consistent now. For any of you who have either been listening for a long time or went back and listened to some earlier episodes, there are worse ones that people at Stitcher could listen to than this one. <laughs> that's a good point. That's all I'm saying. So That's all right. Hey, if the people at Stitcher listen, does that count as another download? I hope. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. No, I encourage them to go find the episode I'm talking yes, about. Yes. Yes. Then yes. That'll be like 38. We challenge them. Yes, exactly. We challenge them to find it. All right, so after you get the James Patterson app, you can uh, head to um, the uh, App Store and you can get the Stitcher app for your iPad or iPhone, um, iPod Touch as well, as long as you're using it on Wi-Fi. Um, you can get it in the Android Market, a completely redesigned app that still messes me up because I still look for the old icon, but it does seem to work much smoother than the one I had. It's also available for BlackBerry and for WebOS as well. And to be honest with you, I will probably be downloading it on my touchpad now that I thought about it, and I can get it on there. So I may have a brief review of how that works on a defunct technology next week. <laughs> um, Stitcher, the smarter way to listen to radio. You actually almost, I think you got it right this time. All right. If you don't want to listen to us on Stitcher because you got tired of us talking about it, you can also get us on iTunes, the Zune Marketplace. There's got to be like one person who maybe downloaded us on there by accident or something like that. Where else are we? On our website, on our podcast.com <laughs> and Blueberry. 
which we always say blueberry the blueberry website and i don't know if anybody even knows about it because it's it, but it's blubrry.com um it's just another place that has our our, our podcast hosted <laughs> someone just went to everywhere on blueberry this site's all about pie i don't understand Where's there's my no podcast? podcast here what are they talking about and if you haven't tuned out because we're talking nonsense and you want to contact us, here's a good way to get in touch with us. Email us, bookedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at bookedpodcast. You can go to our website, which is bookedpodcast.com, or check us out on Facebook. We're interacting with people all the time, and we're trying to really build like a little back and forth and, and have the listeners more involved in the shows and stuff like that uh, with content. So we're facebook.com slash book podcast. Go there, click like so that we always show up or subscribe to us. I don't know what this whole new layout, how that works, <laughs> how that all works. But um, yeah, and then have a conversation with us there. We're always asking people uh, for input on what you, you know, topics for the shows and stuff like that. So check us out there again, facebook.com slash book podcast. All right, and as a true treat for those of you that did stick around through that whole sordid mess, um, our next episode, an interview with Donald Ray Pollock, author of Knock Up Stiff and The Devil All the Time. Very, very exciting stuff uh, to have recorded with him. Um, and probably coming up, probably our nuttiest episode yet. That's all I'm going to say about it right now. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be kind of wild, I think. I am very much looking forward to it. All right. But first, Donald Ray Pollock on our show. How cool is that? Yeah, definitely tune in. I don't want to spoil anything, but it was a lot of fun. Definitely check back in for that. Cool. That wraps up another episode of Booked. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.